Moment of Truth with Pastor Matt Shackelford is a ministry of Central Church in Collierville, Tennessee. Please visit us online at centralchurch.com. What does it take for guilty man to be made right with holy God? The Bible tells us all have sinned. We've all broken God's law and we all stand guilty. And God says that the wages of our sin is death. And you can't earn salvation. You can't bribe God with good works. So what do we do? This is the truth. There's only one way to be made right with God and it's a free gift. And the moment that you repent, the moment you place your faith that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sins, God will make you right with him. He will wash you, he will make you white as snow. So moment of truth today, what will you do with Jesus? Welcome to the Christmas edition of Moment of Truth. All month long, we are celebrating the birth of our Savior. Today, we look at Christmas from the perspective of Jesus as seen in Hebrews 10. Before we begin today's sermon, we want to invite you to Christmas at Central. Tonight at 6 p.m., we will have a special Christmas concert at Central Church in Collierville. This is a time to turn the focus away from ourselves and to focus on worshiping God through our favorite Christmas songs and by sharing the Christmas story. Let's turn to Hebrews 10 and listen in now for your moment of truth. Well, good morning. I invite you to take your Bibles. It is uh, the Christmas season all over again, and uh, how quickly another year has come and gone. Maybe you have some traditions in your household. In my home, we, uh, we celebrate Christmas on some unique ways. Of course, we put up a tree. One of the ways that we come back to every year, and we're going to start it tonight, is we watch a lot of Christmas movies. Do you do that? This is just the kind of year, and we just enjoy that. Uh, we love all of the classics and, uh, you know, A Christmas Carol, uh, but my kids won't watch the old one. They want to watch the ones with the Muppets. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's the one they like. The other one's just a little too scary. But I noticed something whenever we watch a lot of these Christmas movies. Uh, They all sort of have the same story, like like all of them. It all starts out with someone who's down or disillusioned or depressed or sometimes just, just an evil person, and it's the night before Christmas, and they learn what Christmas is all about, and they show up on Christmas Day with the Christmas spirit, and everything changes for them through the course of the story. And you see it in all of these movies. Ebenezer Scrooge starts out the night before Christmas, and he's filled with hate, spit, and vinegar, and you know the rest of the story. He has this uh, these successive dreams, and what happens is everything changes on Christmas Day. The one we'll probably watch tonight the Grinch that stole Christmas. You know that one. He starts out with a heart. How many times? Two times too small. The Grinch, eventually he gets a vision, a glimpse of what Christmas is all about and everything changes. My kid's favorite, Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown is having a bit of a crisis. 
uh, over all the commercialism. Then he hears the Christmas story from Linus, and everything changes. Everything changes. My favorite, George Bailey, living in Bedford Falls, dead-end job, dead-end life, not happy with his situation in life, and he comes into a, a bit of a a problem, a, a uh, issue where his uncle misplaced some money, and he's in uh, a world of hurt the night before Christmas, but then he gets his vision, he gets his understanding of what Christmas is all about from the angel, and once again, everything changes. Now, for some of you, it's the night before Christmas. It's the night before Christmas. For many of us, this time of the year, uh, Christmas is this type of season. This time of season is a bit of the night. It's dark. And uh, during this season, I find that many people tend to struggle with uh, life at this time of the year. Broken relationships, loneliness. Uh, For some of you, maybe you've experienced the loss of a loved one, and Christmas is uh, very simply not the same as it used to be. Maybe you're taking inventory on your life and you don't, you don't like the way things have turned out the past year. Maybe you don't like your job. Maybe you don't like uh, how the house you live in or the place where you're at in life and you wish, you wish life was more. Well, what do we need today? Today, we need to have our own Christmas story. Today, we need, it's the night before Christmas and many of you may be saying, I'm desperate. What we need most is we need a new perspective that's informed by the gospel. Well, all this month, what I want to do is give you that perspective. I want us to come back to this place, and all month long, we're going to be looking at this perspective of Christmas. Where do we go to get a perspective on what Christmas is really about? There's a lot of places we could go to get this Christmas perspective that we need that would change our lives. You know, we could, we could go to Mary, and we could see what Christmas is like from the point of view of Mary, her visit to Elizabeth, what it was like riding to Bethlehem. We could see Christmas through the eyes of Joseph. Uh, Joseph, this man who had a, a dream and he had expectations and all of a sudden everything changes. We could see it through the original Christmas Grinch, Herod, this scheming, this trouble, this, this paranoid man who's trying to kill mankind's Savior. We could see it through the eyes of the Jewish leaders. thought about that this week. Do you realize that uh, the Jewish leaders were apathetic towards this Savior? He was born six miles from Bethlehem. When Herod wants to know where this king of the Jews will be born, the Jewish leaders know exactly where he will be born. He's six miles from Jerusalem. He's in Bethlehem, and yet they send no one over to check it out. They're, they're apathetic. They don't care. We could see it from their perspective. One of my favorites is the shepherds. We could see it from the perspective uh, of the shepherds. Those men who were rejected by the world and then angels show up. There's the original, It's a Wonderful Life. We could see it from the perspective of the wise men. These students of possibly Daniel who have come from the east and they're coming and following the star. There's so many places we could go. We could go to Simeon and Anna, these these dear retired saints who have come and now they're looking for the Messiah on the Temple Mount. Well, this week I landed on a very, um, goodness, an interesting passage. I started having my quiet time in the book of Hebrews And this morning, that's where I want to go. We have a very interesting text. If you would, open up to the book of Hebrews. I want to show you Christmas, not from any of the perspectives of the normal Christmas characters. 
I want to show you Christmas from the perspective of Jesus Christ himself. I've never seen this passage preached about Christmas, but it is indeed a Christmas text. Maybe some of you are saying, well, how do you get the perspective of Jesus? He's just a a baby at the time. Well, in Hebrews chapter 10, if you'll turn there, in Hebrews 10, we see an amazing conversation between Jesus and God the Father. Absolutely unique in the Bible. What we see in Hebrews chapter 10 is a conversation between Jesus and God the Father. And what we see here is absolutely unique because this is open glove. This is a conversation that they have right on the edge of eternity, right on the edge of Jesus coming into the womb of Mary. And it's a conversation that we get to bear witness to between Jesus and God the Father Literally, the night before Christmas. Let's read it together. This is Jesus' perspective on Christmas, the night before Christmas. And if we would get his perspective, I think, I think our night would get a lot brighter if we would see the perspective of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, we'll start in verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came to the world... There it is. Christmas text, we're there. When he came to the world, there's my proof. When Christ came to the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I've come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit bears a witness to us after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, and I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is one of the most marvelous texts in the entire Bible. 
we are going to get the perspective, not of the angels, not of the shepherds, uh, not of the, the witnesses on that day. We are getting an eternal perspective from God himself to God himself, and we get to peer in, and the veil is pulled back, and we get to see some of the most marvelous truths of why he came, not according to the shepherds, not according to the magi, not according to Herod or anyone else, but according to Jesus Christ, our Savior. So may God bless the preaching. May God bless the the reading and the understanding of his word. May the people of God receive this with joy in our hearts today. Well, what is Christmas all about? I want to give you three things from the perspective of Jesus Christ and God the Father. Three things that Christmas is all about. And hopefully, if this is your darkest night, hopefully the resulting effect of this would have that, that effect where you come and you say, it's a wonderful life. Uh, We understand the true meaning of Christmas. Uh, Three points. Let me just give them to you. Actually, let's just go in order. Let's start with the first one. The first point, Jesus came to fulfill the shadow. Jesus came to fulfill. Notice in verse 1, since the law has but a shadow, there it is, of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. Notice what he calls this uh, idea of the law. The law is a shadow. Now, I want to help you understand that. I think context here is very important. We're dealing in context with a group of people. These are Christians and a church, and this is a sermon being preached, one of the the biggest sermons in the Bible, and it's being preached to a church. And within the congregation, there are some people that are saved, and there are some people that are not saved, and they're all a Jewish audience, and they're coming in, and they're saying, we miss some of the elements of the sacrificial system, and some of them some of them are thinking about going back. Some of them are wanting to return to the former things. They're wanting to go backwards, back into Judaism, back into the old way of life. So over the past three chapters of this section of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is saying there's no going back. There's, to go back is to go back to something inferior. To go back is to go backwards to something that does not work. Now, the word he uses here for shadow is very interesting. It's the word skia in the Greek. It means the the outlined figure. It's the form. You're going back to a form, and it's vastly inferior to what we now have in Christ, which is the genuine picture, the genuine article, the genuine person. You're going back to a shadow. You're going back to something that's inferior. Why would you do that? I uh, want to show you something this morning. I brought a visual aid just to help us, okay? Now, I have a picture of my wife and I from when we were first um, dating, and I keep it on my desk. And so I have this picture and a couple of thoughts here. I know, I know, I know. We had this taken before we were married. I look at this thing, and I I have it sitting right to the left of my desk. It sits right over here off of my desk, and I look at this thing. First of all, my response is, who is that kid she's with? What's going on with sideburns, and and who? why is it someone doesn't love this poor kid enough to tell him, guys don't wear necklaces like that, you know, and I just wish someone would sit him down and have a conversation uh, with him. Uh, That wasn't even cool in the 90s, all right? But... Uh, I look at this, and I, I have fond memories of this picture. We, um, we took this before we were married, and I remember it was a windy day, and her hair was blowing around, and I just have fun. Yeah, she's, she is like, why are you bringing all this up? But uh, love this picture. 
People would ask me, uh, who are you dating? And I would pull this out, and I would say, I am dating her. Isn't she the most beautiful woman you've ever seen? She's, she's beet red right now. This is great. <laughs> I would show this to them, and I would say, hashtag winning, right? This is, the, I am living the dream. I'm going to marry her one day. This was, this was a great day, and I, I loved that photo. Loved it. But then something happened. Then we got married. Then we got married. And it, it, it got better than a picture. I love this picture. I love this picture. It captures some of Ashley's beauty, just some of it. But there are depths of her beauty that this entirely misses. There are depths of her beauty as a parent, as a mother, as a creative, artistic personality. You know, Ashley, I came home the other day, and she uh, was surprising me because the whole house was filled with uh, garlands uh, from some greens. And she, Well, she cut down one of my evergreens, practically. Uh, she cut down the evergreen, <laughs> and she said, oh, don't be mad. Uh, but uh, the house is just filled with these garlands that she made, and it was beautiful. And, and, and this picture, as good as it is, and, and though it conveys a portion of her beauty, it altogether misses the whole of her beauty. It's a bit of a shadow. It gets a little bit, but it doesn't tell you anything about the great parent that she is. It doesn't tell you anything about the beauty of her creative, artistic personality. It doesn't tell you anything about the spouse that she is to me. I mean, there's a lot of you that are afraid to maybe to confront and to, to go after people. She is not afraid to confront me on my failures. It's very good for me. That's a good thing. She's a good wife. This misses a lot of it. And, and by the way, I have very little commitment to this. You know what I mean? I've made no vows to this picture. If, if the building burns to the ground, I'm, I'm not losing my mind over this picture because I'll just print another one. It's in the cloud, right? I'll just press print and it, it will come right out. And uh, that's not a problem. I've made no vows. I've made no covenant with this picture. It's just a shadow of the real thing. And Jesus comes and he says to his people, God says the shadow of things was the law. It's just a shadow. Why would you go back? It may have represented part of the truth, but now we have the full truth in Christ. See, the Old Testament law was full, filled with pictures of who Jesus was, but the shadows were empty and they lacked substance. And that's Judaism today, by the way. When you go to Israel, I hear we're getting a new embassy over there uh, in Jerusalem. But when you go there, maybe check out that new embassy and you go to Israel, today you will see Jews lined up at the western wall, the wailing wall, and they're still seeking the shadow. They're still running after and chasing the shadow. But this says the law was a shadow. In what way? Well, you remember, um, remember Charlton Heston, you remember the Ten Commandments, right? And Moses comes down off the mountains, and what does he have in his hands? Yeah, the two tablets. He's got the law, and, and the problem with the law, these are some of the most simple commands on life. You know, um, don't commit adultery, right? Don't lie. Don't steal. Obey your father and mother. Honor them, right? And there's these simple, simple commands. What's the problem? Well, you have no ability to do them. We can't keep them. He comes down, and on day one, he, what does he find them doing at the bottom of, of Sinai? What are they doing? They're worshiping the golden calf. So God looks at that and he says, okay, you can't keep the law. 
So because you can't keep it and because I'm a holy God and sin cannot go unpunished, he creates the tabernacle picture. And in the tabernacle, what would happen is when you sin, there had to be atonement. And when you sin, you would go to the law and you would go to the priest in the system, in the tabernacle system, and the priest would roll out the scrolls and you would tell him exactly what you've done. And he would go to the law and he'd say, yep, you sinned. There it is right there. Stop doing that. Don't do that again. Then the two of you would go and you would take an animal and you would kill it and you'd place it on the altar, you would burn it and you'd, you would sacrifice for that sin so that sin would not go unpunished and there would be the picture of God's holiness by the death of this animal. Now look at Hebrews 10.1. The law, it's a shadow, right? It's a shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never, say the word never. It can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Do you see the problem? The law came, the tabernacle came, but it didn't work. There was an emptiness to the shadow. It never perfected the sinner. And the fact that these sacrifices had to be repeated year after year after year, and people just kept having to come back, shows it never fulfilled anything. And what happened back then is the same thing that happens today. People get caught up in empty ritual of religion. And they were never set free. Look at verse 2. Kept, kept doing the same thing. No new results. Verse 2. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins? Do you hear what he's saying? So they killed a goat. They killed the bull. But there's still, you, you leave and you know there's still, my sin is still there. It hasn't taken away my sin. People do this in the church today. People do this in our culture today. They think that maybe just coming to church that makes them okay with God, and then they leave and they still feel the guilt and the weight of their sin. And they walk around in shadow religion feeling the guilt. So much guilt in our culture, isn't there? And they try to deal with that guilt in unbiblical ways. We're all living with this fear that one day all will be found out. Look at verse 3. In these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. Every year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16 talks about it. Every day, what was required is that Israel would bring a sacrifice and they would sacrifice all of these animals, and the blood would visually flow from the sacrificial altar. It was visual. It, it, you could imagine the smell, not just from, from the meat and the flesh and the fire. Uh, it, it permeated through the air. The smoke rose, and it permeates your, clothe, your clothing, and everything smells of burning meat. And it permeates every part of life. Stunning visual picture. What does it say about that? It's just a reminder every year. Sin is still there. Verse 4 summarizes. Look there. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Here's the inability of the Old Testament sacrifices. It cannot take away sins. That's the word refers to its inability. In Leviticus 16, it uses a different word. It's the word atonement. It's atonement. In Leviticus 16, the word atonement literally means to cover, to cover, to cover. That's not the word here. The word here is take away. 
It's the idea that, that in the Old Testament and in this old system, Old Testament sacrifices just cover sin, but it's always there. It's always there. The sacrifices were powerless to save. Now, that might lead a few of you to ask, well, how were Old Testament saints saved? And I just want to give this to you this morning. People in the Old Testament were saved the exact same way people today and people in the New Testament were saved. There is one means of salvation given to men. There is one person. There is salvation in no other name but Jesus Christ. And what happens is that in the Old Testament, saints are told to look forward to the coming Messiah and to believe and to trust in the promises of God. And so those saints look forward in faith to Jesus Christ, to this coming Messiah who would be the sacrifice for sin. And today we look backwards. We look back to the cross. They looked forward to the cross. There is salvation in no other name except Jesus Christ. There is salvation in no other name. This was the gospel given in the very beginning that one day there would come a savior to man to save us from our sin. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed the promises of God of the coming Messiah that would come through his line. It was still, even then in the Old Testament, you're saved by faith. We trust that today's message has been a challenge and an encouragement to you. Jesus tells us that truth always demands a response, so he calls us to be doers of his word, not hearers only. So this is your moment of truth. How is God calling you to respond? We'd also like to meet you in person. Worship with us at 9 or 11 a.m. every Sunday at Central Church. If you're unable to attend in person, we also have services streaming live where you can engage and chat with other believers throughout the service. Visit centralchurch.com live to find out more. Moment of Truth is sponsored by Central Church.